0: Uh, Hey everybody, Noon's here, Aaron Noonan, great to have you with me. It is another episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast. Welcome along. This week, it is part one of a two-part episode with a chat with a guy who, if you're a long-time Supercars fan, then you know of his time in the championship, both main game, full-time, co-driver, Super 2. Dale Wood is on the pod this week, and if you know a little bit about Dale, you know that he is entertaining. His chat's good, and I can guarantee you that this is as well, but did you know his first car race was in an ex-Eddie Irvine Formula Ford? I didn't, and there's plenty more gems on this episode too that I learned along the way, and I think you're going to enjoy those too. There's highs and lows, plenty of entertaining chat, but it's in a style that only Woody can deliver. He's fully aware, by the way, of his place in the motorsport landscape, and he's found that happy medium of racing, family, and work life, and by his own admission, he's not a world champion, but this story is one of finding a way. It's about taking on challenges and having a laugh about it along the way, too. Now, I ventured out to Woody's signage business, Sign Point. there's a plug, uh, in Lilydale, in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, and we sat down to talk about it all. So let's barrel into it. Buckle up, it's time to start part one of Dale Wood on the V8 Sleuth Podcast. Well, this week on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, I've come to a signage business, and there's a guy here who runs this show who our listeners and motor racing followers will know well. Uh, Dale Wood, thank you, for, you. You've turned it on today. We, we are in the Signpoint facility in Lilydale. Is this the meeting room, the lunch room? Where are we? It's very special.
1: I know. Well, we do have a nice new-ish facility here, and I'm a big one that I hate meeting rooms. I've sat in quite a few of them over my time. Fallen asleep in a few too, I reckon. (laughs) Fallen asleep in a few um, debriefs after rounds that haven't gone very well. Um, (laughs) So meeting rooms for me I've always sort of felt were a bit of that, can carry a bit of a stigma about it. So I'm all about having a good chat around food and coffee. So I said, right, we need to make a kitchen that can also double up as a meeting room. We can sit, you know, 12, 15 people here and uh, and nut it out over coffee and over food. And, um, yeah, if we need to have a food fight, we certainly can because it's all at our fingertips. <laughs>
0: is, is that seriously happen here? Is that is that so Friday afternoon? We have a fun? lot of young
1: – yeah, we've got a lot of young um, energetic staff. One of them in particular on our first night out – so this is Drew as well. So she started with us a couple of weeks in. We said, right, Friday night we're all going to the footy. We had a few and she spewed all over me on the way home. So um that was still well in, well inside it. So anything's possible, food fights, spew on the boss. Um, oh, it's all happened here. It's,
0: it's all good. It's But all good. I've also
1: cried on national television and they remind me of that on a daily basis. Is,
0: is it a GIF? Is it popped up online as a little, you know, you can send it to your mates on text? It's been
1: everything possible. So uh I encourage you to go into the showers uh into the bathrooms here later on before you leave and you'll see exactly how much the staff take the piss out of me here. I've got this new staff. Maybe.
0: I was going to say, you employed them.
1: Yeah, I know. I do remind them though every day they're so lucky to be here. Um, we don't pay them and um, at any moment I can get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, as our listeners could probably tell, I mean, we've only been talking for a couple of minutes, um, you've been around motorsport for a fair while. You've got a family that's been around the game for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't have the highest profile of you know the drivers and the people who have potentially been in supercars over the last ten or fifteen years. Yeah. But if I talk to anybody in the game and say who springs to mind of someone who is funny, engaging, passionate, um, you know all of those elements, and your name's in the top two or three every time, every time for sense of humour, for commitment to the task, for and, and I think one of the other things that you've been very good at, and I want to talk to you about this in the pod you've done a very good job crafting together um, partners who who get a lot out of motor racing, helps you go car racing, but they get a lot out of it too, which I think a lot of people don't understand. It's well beyond the game now of please give me money sponsor X and I'll put your sticker on my race car and it will be on television. It's kind of where we've been a lot in the past. So there's so many things that we could talk about here today, and it's going to be a pile of fun. But before we get into this, I've got a little Let's something, and, and our listeners can't see this, but I'm just going to give you a piece of paper, and I'm just pushing this across the desk to you now. <clears throat> What's this piece of paper? What, what is it? Tell me about this. This is a
1: sponsorship proposal from back in the day. It is. So yeah, I know. That's crazy. I'm, um, almost makes With some of the stuff you say, it makes me almost emotional just to think about some of the things, and you dive back into these things of what we've done, and- how um how different pieces fall into place, don't fall into place, and you end up you know where you are now. But this thing here, a two thousand and five sponsorship proposal. So I remember you coming down the driveway of uh, the property we lived on in Seville back then. Out, yeah, um course. out of town a little bit, but uh, and I was fairly fresh out of go karting and trying to put together. So my uncle actually sent over. This we're going to go down a funny path here, but. Um, I was doing go-karting. My uncle came over from the UK, uh, my dad's brother, and he came out to Todd Road one day and he was like, you know, we can't keep doing this go-karting. We've got to do something else. So I've got an old 87 Van Diemen um, in, my, in a shipping container at home. I'll shoot it over to you. Sure enough, a few months later. Oh, from the UK? From the UK. Oh. In Duckham's Oils um, and it was Eddie Irvine's. No um, No way. Formula Ford, the one that he wrote, the one that he raced. It was two cars that he drove in. So one of them at the Formula Ford Festival. Yeah, it was an '87 Van Diemen that he sent over. We didn't really learn some of this early on. It was just like, all right, here's this car, and um, Dale, let's go on into some Victorian state races. You need to do some car racing. Do some car racing. You need to step it up. Massively uh, uncompetitive. So it was getting lapped, and because at this time that was the era of the stealth Formula Ford. and you know the obviously Borland, you know had, they had their spectrums that were flying and lots of things so the old 87 it wasn't too competitive <laughs> but um shit it was fun and anyway and then after that we purchased ian dyke's formula ford which is this one here on the front cover poorly presented here but um the front cover of this Hey, I didn't do proposal, the artwork. no mate. i know Come that on, that's now. all me so um it's just crazy how you you look and you think what what has happened since good and bad and uh yeah and that's that's amazing seeing that Andy's Earth Movers. I mean, that's another story in its own. The way he supported me, what he did from the start. Um, so, what does it say on this piece of
0: paper? What's the? Just read it out for our listeners. That so, spirit, ra-
1: spirit Racing. I can't even remember where the hell Spirit Racing came from. That's what I called my little motorsport venture back then. <clears throat> We're now Wood Motorsport, um, but Spirit Racing, season two thousand and five sponsorship proposal. It's got a picture of my. I can't. I've got to remember the era of this car. Now I'm going to go a little bit blank of this formula Ford. Um, but it was Ian Dyke's formula Ford on the front there and it's got Andy's earth movers, which was a sponsor of mine at the time. Um, and then you, so, and yeah, you handing me this proposal that you did back in 2005, the very first proposal that I'd ever had done up. I'd taken it from me sitting there with probably coloring and drawing things on a piece of paper to people to actually getting a, very well presented, spiral bound, cleared front covered <laughs> sponsorship proposal. And Where?
0: I've still got it. And you still got still it. Still got it. <laughs> Dug it out of the files on the laptop. It has gone from about three laptops in that time since we probably did it. So Yeah, that's
1: awesome. I can't um, believe it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a while ago now. But so the racing bug was I mean, it's it's a family thing because I remember your dad racing Commodore Cup in the '90s. Yep. but he did some drag racing and a bit of a rally. I, I got all this out of the, the guide. So, were we right with that sponsorship proposal? Or did we fib some of that?
1: Um, I've certainly told some fibs over my time, so there's a big chance that there's some in there. But no, <laughs> dad was um, dad was very much um, passionate about motorsport. Didn't have the bucks to do it, so pretty much threw everything he had at it to do some um, to do Commodore Cup when he did it. And um, probably threw more than what they really had at it. It Put a lot of pressure on mum and dad, and put a lot of stress on the relationship and that there. And but and I, and I was still early enough that I remember hanging around, riding my pushbike around Winton when Dad was racing that. And um, he was quite close with a guy, David Gittis then. Yeah. And they were. I even it's come to my mind the other day that they were talking about. They threw around the idea of doing a wild card at Bathurst. Um, in, they were going to lease a car and my dad and David Giddis were going to do Bathurst and it was huge. It never got off the ground. I'm not sure how far it was, or if it was just a bit of a pipe dream, but I remember as a kid thinking, oh, dad might go and do Bathurst and telling some friends at school and bits oh, and pieces. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that was cool. And, um, and actually, and David Giddis was the one that gave me work experience. I was sick of school in year 10, um, David Giddis, who owned a business called Active Display Group. Um, he gave me work experience and then gave me an apprenticeship, which I did saw through with, with those guys. So it's funny how, and it's only when you have a talk like this, you actually dig back and you think how much motorsport has um, influenced my life and some of the decisions and, and I guess the way life is now. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You mentioned before about that 87 Van Diemen and Eddie Irvine. Yep. So that's the year that he fought with Thomas mizura Oh, for the championship right. over there, and Thomas tells the story. He's, he told it on our um, on our pod a couple of years ago, I think, from memory, about where because he was just he just couldn't beat Eddie Irvine because Irvine was the gun, but Thomas was close and close and close, mm-hmm. and finally one day at Silverstone he got past him, won the race, um, and was going to win the race, but it was red flagged, and of course it goes back a lap, doesn't it? And oh, it was dear. the lap before he passed for the lap. He never got him. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm not. Is that eighty seven still around? It's around. There's a guy that's yeah. sort of done a restoration job on it. I don't. I, well, keep Thomas away from it. He'll probably try to burn it or will, attack yes. it with an axe. So.
1: Um, so I think there's a guy that has done a bit of a resto on it and has offered it to buy back. And we, look, Dan and I have thought about it, but it's it's one of those things. How many? You know, what do you do there? Do you buy back old cars and bits and pieces? I would probably yeah, I should buy it back because I owe it to my uncle. I mean, he was the one that sent it out, and mm. um, and it was yeah, was nothing pretty at the time. We sort of touched up the bodywork, and I was starting to get half handy with doing some stickers. So um, I could handle those bits and pieces and it was amazing how much fun it was and we were so far from being competitive. But it was fun. But my God, it was fun and I remember just pulling up, we just had an open trailer and rolling up to Sandown and Winton and, and all that and doing these races and... At knowing that you had zero chance whatsoever in the race, but, Jesus, it was fun. Yeah, <laughs> It's a different
0: – I mean, it sort of makes us sound old, doesn't it, to say it was a different era back in those days, but it really was. And the thing that just occurred to me uh, with that sponsorship proposal that we – so that was in 2004. Yeah. So you'd done um, karts, but you'd done motocross. You'd, you'd done dirt bikes. That was before karts, or was it the same time as?
1: I did very little um, karting. I did – you know, maybe a couple of years of sort of competitive karting, really.
0: And was that because, or oh, bikes are a bit dangerous? This is all getting a bit. Oh, I've such or? a passion
1: for dirt bikes. I absolutely love. We well, still it. do, still do. Yeah, um, yeah, I really do. And my my brother Glenn had moved into go karting. The the bikes was never really for him. He was probably dragged along for a big part of his childhood to <laughs> it's
0: to all bike your fault. races.
1: Yeah, all my fault because um <laughs> I was the one that wanted to do that, and I just I wanted to do every the biggest and best events that I could possibly do. And I was lucky. I went and raced a lot of the Australian Supercross Championship in junior ranks and um, Australian titles and all sorts. But again, my brother was sort of coming along and doing it with not really the passion for it. It was because big brother Dale's making us do this. So he then got into go-karting and, um, and it was mum and dad that had said for quite a while, we think you'd really like it, you should come and have a go at it. And I was like, no, nah, I'm a motocross rider. <laughs> but also got a few injuries and mum and dad, and I see it now, being a being a parent now, I I cringe seeing my boys on bikes. They're quite handy at them, I guess, And but I worry seeing them fly through the air and knowing what's possible. So for me, I'm again, I'm leaning towards saying to my kids, come on, let's get into go-karting, it's a bit safer. You and, just sort of push yeah, them that way, push them that my way. My parents did the same. And I did. I loved it. Um, Smashed up so many people's go-karts. I was a shit of a thing. (laughs) And um, I suppose I'd come from motocross where you all start on the one set of gates, all at the front, 20 of you, and you needed to be the first bike into turn one. Mm, If mm. you weren't, you were going to have a long race ahead of you. So I'd qualify last in a go-kart race and then be convinced that I needed to be first into turn one. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, upset a lot of people and had a lot of dads welding up chassis and that of of a night time. So... Fairly quickly got pulled into line on that, and then you know, and after that, like I say, I did a did a few years of karting. I can't remember exactly now the years, but um, I, I've got
0: from said sponsorship proposal, we wrote 2001 to the end of 2003, because in late 03 you did a couple of rounds of state series in that 87VD. Okay, so that you reckon we were right? It must be about must, right there. Well, yeah. we did it at the time, so it must have. It's probably yeah. more chance of being right then than we are today. So, yeah. oh, by the way, did you get the sponsor that we did the
1: proposal for? Well. I'm assuming it's for Andy's Earth Movers. Yeah. So that is, like I say, that is such a story in itself. I mean, I went up to, I got an introduction there through my, um, my wife, Jess, so, well, girlfriend back then, um, through her dad, who was working in a, working down here for a heavy haulage company and suggested, look, I know a guy, Andy, who's quite, he's got a lot of Earth Movers, got a lot of equipment, he's quite interested in car racing and all that sort of thing. I went and sat on his, Office door in Bendigo for quite a few mornings and got kicked out numerous times. Um, had his had his receptionist at the time say he doesn't have time to see you. Um, wasted a couple of days actually, and then finally got well, it. So sp-
0: you went to Bendigo from Melbourne and stayed in Bendigo and just kept
1: Staying there up. and yeah, turned up on his front door and um and really just annoyed the shit out of him. I knew that there was a possibility there. He's a very difficult guy to get onto at the time, and I knew he had a lot going on. I, I can't say enough about him now as a person and what he you know where he sort of sent me. So when I finally got in to see him, he said, all right, and he was very blunt, very few words. He says, right, whatever race you do, I'll buy you a set of tyres. And I can't remember what that set of Avons were at the time, but that was huge because it was like a, the tyre cost for doing it as a family venture, the tyre cost was one of the bigger ones. Mm. So that's what he said he'd do. Whatever you do, whatever races you do, I'll pay for a set of tyres. Now I can't remember if it was one or two sets. I think it was just one set. Um, and that turned into A&I Helicopters, so that was his business as well. Um, Funded me right through development series with Greg Murphy Racing in two thousand and seven and eight. He then went on as well to fund the build of the Tasman cars. So you're going to have to remind me of this one. Mm -hmm. When did Tasman? Two thousand and eight. And they formed. And they built two brand new
0: cars because they had their own. They wanted to do their own Tasman manufacturing. Yep. At a separate facility. I think they were down at Dandenong. Were
1: they near Harrop? That's where uh, they had a nice facility. They had quite a nice facility mm-hmm. there near Harrop. Well, in- no,
0: well, well, when, when Tasman came from Sydney to Melbourne, they were at Ronnie Harrop's. Yep. And then later on, they ended up in another shop. So, this is in the Jeff Gregg era mm-hmm. at Tasman. And I, and I remember vividly that they wanted to build their own cars, be their own entity. And maybe it was Georgie Smith's workshop or in the same area facility, John Street, Dandenong. So, there were two brand new cars built in 08, one of which you drove at the Enduros for the first time at Bathurst. Yep. And they they had a new one for Jason Richards and a new one for Murph that he debuted in Hamilton. And Murph is going to go and drive that car this year. When he goes to England in July to race a a Super Tourer, he's going to drive a A Nissan Primera from memory. There you go. And the owner of that car, Alex Sidwell, is an Englishman and it lives in the UK. And while Murph's there, he's going to drive that car at Brands Hatch. Anyway, bit of a sleuth story aside, but um, this is proof, mate, that – there's people along the journey, and, and Neil Crompton says this all the time: believers, someone who gives you a break in the rich tapestry of a career that you look back on and go, "Wow, if I hadn't done that, or I hadn't met that person, or they hadn't seen something special in me, or you know, got them at a moment of weakness, even or whatever it was, the world turns out very differently." Yeah. But it's
1: it's those people along the way, and clearly he was he was one of those. He was so unbelievably influential, and so. Obviously, supported me through formula, my time in Formula Ford, not to a massive extent, but would buy my tyres and bits and pieces. And then when I went to him to say, "This is what I'd like to do," um, I'd like to step up to Development Series. I think it, um, was it was it, was DVS, was it Fujitsu Series yeah, back then? Yep. Um, so to put it to him, and I said, "Can I introduce you to a guy, Kevin Murphy?" And then Greg came along. Greg was fantastic, and Greg and Andy still stay in contact. So this guy Andy then. You'd know my car from having, um, yeah, the A&I helicopters on it for a couple of years. That's, that was his business. He just thought, well, me promoting Andy's earth movies is useless. He's, he'd had a business that had helicopters. He thought that might be a better one to promote. So that's what we put on the side of the car. Funded so much of that. Um, he was pretty cool because the moment he walked in to meet with Kevin, he said, right, I don't want to hand over just all of this cash. Can I see the contract and how all this, how the figures come up? And it was like a certain amount was for lease of the transporter. And certainly he goes, right, well, I'll buy the transporter. Um, I'll buy the car. So then I don't have to lease that off you. I don't have to lease the transporter off you. And that gets taken out of it. And he was, yeah, really cool in, in that sense in the way he he did all that. And then, as I said, it, un, it unfolded. Um, and over those couple of years, he funded the build of the, two, the, the brand new Tasman cars. Um, had his hand in a couple other bits and pieces. I can't remember exactly what they were, but yeah, it was certainly a huge part of, of all that era. Huge to me. I mean, got, yeah, just got me going. The following year when I did, I don't want to get too far ahead here, but when I did get the opportunity to get into the, um, the fourth Cali racing car, when that was the new thing, he couldn't do anything then. Business had gone a bit bad and he's done, had some really cool moments, Andy, over the time he's bought and sold his own business numerous, numerous times, sold it for a have a lot of money. He's
0: done the Kerry Packer with he has Joe and Heinz. watched it go,
1: watched it get run into the ground, bought it back for next to nothing, built it up. He's done that twice, I think, with I don't want to speak out of school because I don't have the exact details, but he's certainly done that and I'm um, still keeping touch with him now. And I know Murph does and uh he was an amazing individual that definitely got me that big leg up and and got that ball rolling, I reckon. Mm.
0: The the link for you and Tasman that goes back a bit further than anyone probably realizes and I'd forgotten about this and I should have remembered because I was there at the time. Yep. So in so we do this little sponsorship proposal in 2004 this is for 2005. Yep. So you did the state series in New South Wales and there was a search for a supercar star sort of competition within that. Yep. So um, the big carrot was a V8 supercar test drive. Of what was then a dodo Tasman Commodore, yep. do you remember going to the Tasman workshop doing a photo shoot with a young boat called Winkup at the
1: time? I, d- I don't. I, I I can't remember that moment. I remember going there. You were there. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember you being there, and this is where that's that's the facility. It was across the road from. I didn't think it was Dandenong. I thought it was more Coburg way. Yeah. Or- yeah
0: so that was when they were at Ronnie Harrop's.
1: Mm, right. That, okay. They were yeah,
0: engineering over that way. Well, that's
1: yeah. my memory of where yeah. they were. It was a great facility. Yeah. Yep. Um. So I remember going there, and I think I was equal on points, maybe with with a guy with John Martin. Then at the time,
0: yeah, I think he was around the scene then. Yeah. So I
1: don't know if the two of us went in because we were both close on points. I can't remember the exact details. This is where sometimes my memory goes bad. But I, I remember that search for a you know a superstar. Or that was they the big it. carrot. That was yep. the
0: big aim for that.
1: Well, that's why yeah. we did New South Wales. That's yeah, why we did that from championship. Victoria. Yeah, and I was towing my car. I had a Nissan Navara. Um, Dad built us a trailer that looked like a horse float. It was the ugliest thing, but it was such a practical trailer. So we would tow that up and down to get to our races. And um, yeah, I don't remember that was definitely the carrot, and probably where I met a lot of those guys. And I wish I could remember standing like seeing Wink up there and and that, but I, my memory is that bad that I can't. There are some photos. There are
0: <laughs> some photos there. I've got photos of you sitting in a Tasman car with him through the window as a PR yeah, little yeah. story to, to go. Because I think at the time you were leading the points yep. during the year. From what I looked up, I think you ended up finishing third in the series and second in that series within the series for the, okay. the supercar test. I think John so. Martin
1: might have got it. I, I can't quite remember who won that.
0: Yeah, I think he did from from my memory. I, yeah. think, he, uh, I think he had a run in it. Yeah. Well, he was due to have a run in it. If he didn't, he was supposed to. But do you remember your first V8 supercar test drive? Was it around that time or did you get a little steer somewhere else?
1: Well, I hadn't had a driver one at all until the deal was done and they had it was another car that I got in. I don't know if it was a a ride car that they had. It was a two-seater ride car or something and they took me out to Calder. At Tasman? At Tasman. And I did – well, it was Greg Murphy Racing. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: I remember that car. Yeah, it wasn't a supercar but it was – Pretty stonking – it yeah. was a ride car, yeah. It was a ride car,
1: I'm sure of it. Yeah. And it was a just not quite a full blown. and I hadn't done anything inside a tin top, if you like. I hadn't done anything other than drive my Formula Ford. And I remember going to Calder and doing a, a full day of running there and that was in preparation for what was coming for mm. for the next year. And, um, yeah, like I, yeah, I could say, if we fast track ahead again, some of the stuff I tore up in that – First year was uh, was incredible. <laughs> <It> was incredible.
0: <laughs> so the great irony is actually stopping to think a bit more about that wing cup little photo shoot. Oh, I'd have to look up the cars, but that might have been the car you sat in then, unknowingly. Eighteen months later is the car you end up racing, and if it's not that car, it's one of the cars the car in the I workshop up, at the, the time.
1: The car that Andy ended up buying um, was virtually the. I mean the. I say the bitch car lock. It was the one that went end over end at Queensland, Queensland Raceway yeah, with JR in it. Right, that's right. And it had crashes left, right and centre. It was really grandfather's axe. And it was it was the, one of their first cars and it was pretty tardy. However, the car was really, really good. And it was, I remember now, it just comes back to me, um, uh, Wally's Story was building, was doing some pretty special TT44 dampers in it. I can't remember. And it, it, they were all the go at the time. So <laughs> it had those in it. The car was supposed so to have are been. Are they Ohlins. Ohlins, yeah. yep. Um, The car should, on paper, shouldn't have been any good. It had been smashed to bits that many times, but it was a really good car, and um, so that was the one that yeah, Jr. went over and over in. And um, that's the other time through that period. I've become really close with Jr. and he was such a um, such a huge help to me. And I actually the other day dived back into some text messages between me and him. Yeah, really. From back then, and um, one of them was not so appropriate because I'd been. (laughs) He was wanting to know. Careful, careful. (laughs) No, it was all good. It was actually him and him and Charlotte. I believe were <laughs> this was on a Sunday morning, messaging me to find out how I'd gone at Derby Day, the horse races, with a girl that I was trying to <laughs> the day before on the Saturday, and then so him and Charlotte. The message was, "Is Jr. and Charlotte sitting there? Hey, we're just sitting in bed with Charlotte, just wondering they, how they wanted, they wanted the status. Yeah, up, they. wanted to know um, how did things go with so and so or whatever. So <laughs> there's, there's some pretty cool stuff there and. It's yeah, really is amazing. You think about the things that have happened over the time, and yeah, and, and obviously yeah. how things have changed, especially obviously with JR and all that over those yeah. over those years.
0: So that era, you know, five, we talked about the Formula Ford stuff. Oh six, you went, and you stayed in Formula Ford, so we sort of jumped that year, but that was with Fastlane, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was with Fastlane. So I went over and lived, um, spent six months living with Brett Lupton over in Perth. We felt like that was the best thing to do, and to make so it work. Was that kind of if you can't beat them, join them? We couldn't pay. We couldn't afford to do it. Yeah. So it was right. So Brett, Brett was amazing as well. Another guy that definitely helped a hell of a lot. Um, and there was, you know, some cool, some cool stories that come from that as well. I mean, jumping on a trampoline with Daniel Ricciardo at the back <laughs> of at Brett at Brett Lupton's place. As you do. Yeah. When um, no I mean, one was, in the world knows who Daniel Ricciardo is. No, I got no idea. He's some guy anyway. Um, but really cool. I mean, we were. Um, so I was yeah, living there in Perth. We couldn't quite afford to do this, but we felt like it was the best way to go to to get me a crack at the National Formula Four championship. And that was with Brett. Um, so I lived over in Perth and worked out at Barbagallo doing driver coaching and doing it, you know, on the spanners, helping Brett. Um and as I say, and getting around at that time was the the Karate's. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Aaron Kar- and Nathan. Aaron and Nathan Karate. Nathan yep. Karate was maybe my teammate at that that time. Aaron was a bit ahead. He might have been doing Carrera Cup at that point. Um, and Again, and uh, Brett Lupton over there, who had quite a lot of involvement with Garth, and was the one that was responsible for the Stealth Formula mm. Ford, a bit of a its own built thing. I don't it know. Was the- a '94
0: Van Diemen converted with the the scoop and the, yep. the shark nose and all yep. that stuff, and sort of turned an old car new. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was oh, a- but I think it was more the wasn't it the shocks that were the big sort of. I think it was obviously a combination
1: of a few things, but it was a really really successful car for its time. Hmm. with what they did. Um. Anyway, so living with Brett and, yeah, having different times and that of when Daniel was around and I remember him coming back over, he was soon to – he might have been doing Formula BMW and then also came back over at some point because his dad owned an old um, an old open wheeler with a lot of grunt. Now I can't remember what that was. And he, he was soon to have a test in something, whether it be a Renault or whatever, that was a bit more power. So he came back over to WA and went and did a bit of running around Barbagallo in a more powerful – F five thousand something like that. Like it that. was something yeah. like that that Joe, his dad had. Um, yes, yeah, so it's all those little moments at the time that you think you are just taking it in your stride. I mm-hmm. knew what I was trying to do and working my working my butt off to try and pay for to pay to go go uh, to Formula Ford racing and stuff. That didn't the whole year didn't quite work out. We then I think then we jumped into a Miguel, which at the time it hadn't done anything. It wasn't on the map at all previously to that. It was on the map quite a few years earlier. Dougal McDougal.
0: Yeah, Luke Yulden won the championship. Luke Yulden won, yeah, that's right. Greg Ritter.
1: Maybe the last successful person in one was Dougal McDougal. Maybe. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I think – In or, a Well,
0: Jamie Winkup ended up in – He was in a VD. No, well, he was in a Miguel before he was in – Okay. He, he was in a McGall in 2001 mm-hmm. and then he took over the Will Davison Van Diemen for 02 and 01. Yeah. So, yeah, the, and then I think Delberto ended up with that um, Winkup yes. car. So,
1: yeah. um it hadn't done a whole lot and then yeah. a guy, Greg Woodrow, took it over. Mm. He became the importer. and he became the importer, yeah. yeah. Um, so then I jumped in one of those. We ran it ourselves and had so much success. I wasn't really having much of a run with Fast Lane. We had a we had a really rough run. Jumped into the Miguel and I don't know if maybe won my first race in that and it was literally running it out of our garage at home in Seville. Did you win at the Sandown 500 Formula Ford race that year? I, think, I was right up the front. I don't know if I won it. Won um, the round without winning a race or something, something like, like that. Something like that, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. Um, so yeah, won that and was all of a sudden like really competitive, and that car was was really, really cool, and it and it definitely got me a momentum again to end up where we mm. you know probably where we ended up. And so by that stage,
0: are you all in on? I am going to be a full time professional race driver. V eight supercars is just over there. That's where I want to be. That's what I'm trying to do. It was the fire well and truly lit by that point. Whereas because there's always a, a period for people of. Like you said early, it was fun. You know, we just had fun, old car knocking around. But at some point it changes to hang on a minute. Yeah. This this is actually I'm all in here, I'll throw everything at this. Where had that point been in that journey from fun to Wow, actually, no no no. I'm I'm really keen on this. I want to do
1: this. Yeah, I think it sort of creeps up because it was those years of sort of doing it without I don't know if there was an end goal there, but doing it knowing I've always been very competitive. I was really competitive in bikes and and stuff. And so that was always there when it got to this point and was probably getting frustrated as to what I felt I could do in Formula Ford, especially in the national Formula Ford scene, which was a really strong scene Mm. back at that time. Um, Like a real standout moment for me, I reckon, was the year before going to the last round at Sandown and watching David Reynolds and Tim Macro uh, go for the – Go to championship. championship, yeah, and I, I can't remember quite the outcome. I think, um, but not Reynolds, Reynolds passed
0: him on the last lap at Dandenong Road. In Danong
1: Road, one of them they end up both off, and I remember going, "That's what I want to do. I want to be. That's where I want to be." So we thought that going to Fast Lane was going to be the best thing ever. It didn't on track. It didn't quite work out. And as I say, not a not a bad word to say about the Lupton family. They put me up. I had some of the I had the best six months living with those guys and what I learned and, and that sort of thing. And unfortunately we couldn't keep it going, came home, got this Miguel, which we got for free. Greg Woodrow said, right, you can take this and use this. Um, he was trying to get it off the ground and, and the success we had in it was crazy, sort of straight up. So that was like, okay, now it's like real again.
0: And, and that puts you realistically on the radar for the next step Yep. where timing's everything, yep. where you go from uh, not so much of a good season to a car that no-one wants to really use, yep. to, well, Winning results, to results are the best thing to carry in, yes, budget helps, to the next step, to Greg Murphy race, Of course, it was run yep. by Kevin, his dad at the time. So where did the wheels in motion start? That Was it off the back of those results and the, the strength you, of that back end of the year or was it kind of already rolling?
1: No, nah, it, it probably wasn't and there was a time, and I can't quite remember how all this came about, but we went down to, um, to Simmons Plains for – I'm assuming it was a national round. I can't remember if it was a state round and I hadn't been going very well and then put it on pole there and won. And all of a sudden it was like, what the heck, where's all this come from? And then definitely after that, for me, it was right. I know what I want to do. I want to go and win the National Formula 4 Championship and I want to go to, at the time, I want to go to development series, but all I wanted to do was get to supercars. And I remember putting it, stupid. This sounds ridiculous, but before Facebook was – um, was it MySpace?
0: MySpace. That's yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. MySpace.
1: So you had your little bio thing there. Yeah. And it was like um, I don't know if it was Dream or something like that. And my, and the Dream that and I wrote in it as a young. Well, I was in Formula Ford, and it was to be a supercar champ, to be Australian supercar championship or champion or whatever. Never happened. It's <laughs> still probably might. somewhere
0: still out there that MySpace account though. Yeah, it would it's be. It will be a, somewhere. Mine's it'd be around, there. But I
1: remember I remember writing as like right, that's all I want to do. You got,
0: you got you got to believe it, or you got to have somewhere where you want to aim it go because yeah. otherwise you never go anywhere yeah
1: so. and I was doing an apprenticeship then still as a sign writer um probably that's the thing I look at now is like the whole way along my career I've always had the sign writing side of things ticking along in some shape or form so I did the did my apprenticeship while juggling a bit of formula Ford and continued it going while I did DVS and you know and obviously now it's such a huge part of my life now
0: and, and it's your own business it's yeah. sort of but it's also, and we'll talk about it later, it's weaved in your motor racing life and world and your work and business world have always Complement connected and complemented and yep. opened up doors and opportunities and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Jo to Oil Tool. Simply type in your Joe, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. I remember your debut in development series was Adelaide, first round, 2007, <laughs> and those cars, so you had Sam Walter from Tasmania, he was your yeah. teammate, and those cars were still in the Tasman kind of undercolours from yes. the previous year, the orange and black. With our own brand on. With, yeah. your, with your sponsors, Logos, yeah. A&I and all that stuff on it. And I remember, didn't you finish second in your first race and you started front row for the second? I think Caruso won and won the weekend, but yeah. you must have, you rolled out really well. Like it was, you probably even surprised yourself because in those days the field was, I haven't got it in front of me, but 28, 32. Really like strong, it, it was, yeah. It was, and because in, um, uh, for 2007 that meant all the new, hold, all the Holden teams were going to the VE. So there was a lot of Good solid VZs yeah. filtering back through into yeah, correct. Fujitsu series. So it was competitive. And H Patton as well. Uh Sequential came the next year. The 08. following year.
1: I think I did my first year in D V S maybe oh no, maybe I did both my years in with with H Patton. Yeah, that would have sequential.
0: been both H's. Yeah. Both H's. Yeah.
1: Um yeah. And so definitely I thought the, the category then as well, that was that year of Dalberto had won. I don't know if it was my first year that Dalberto won and he yeah. was neck and Caruso. Yep. Yep, that's that year. Yep. Uh, Andrew Thompson was around then.
0: Yep, at the time was with Alk. Howard's. Yep. Yeah, we
1: all had, we all had this thing. Like he was such a quick dude, mm. and there was quite a few guys in that category. Um, that yeah, now if you if you dive back on the old Natsoft and have a look, it's pretty surprising. But it so it was. I reckon I went out practice one. I'm fairly sure I wrote the car off.
0: Yeah, actually, I forgot mm. that bit. Yeah,
1: and it went to a place in Adelaide somewhere. Who was a really iconic guy who did a lot of stuff. Um, fabrication work around the supercar scene. I've gone blank on his name now. The car went there overnight. The boys worked absolutely overnight, not a wink of sleep to get my car back on track. And I got a real big pull through from Kevin Murphy about how this was going to happen now. So this is going into qualifying. Qualified, I'm not sure where, Some somewhere maybe around the 10, And but you're right, by the end of the weekend, I can't remember if I end up on the podium or, or right up and finish. Yeah. I, right, I, up, right up the front somewhere. Yeah. I'm not sure how that all came about and – it was, a, it was very cool that it, that weekend turned from shit to something pretty cool at the mm. end. Mm. And, again, I think it was that realisation of, like, oh, this is, yeah, we're definitely we're on the right path here, mm. but um, I did some real stupid shit. I just, yeah, drove like a lunatic. And uh, Is this because you're just so mm. eager to perform, impress, achieve? Um, I think it's funny because I some I look at that and think I was a different individual and a different you know a different driver back then to and I don't know if it's the amount of ass kickings you get over the time that tone it all down and that change you I don't know if it's the the some of the mental stuff you face I don't know what it is but it definitely shapes and changes you as you go along to where now you know I, I have a very different approach obviously you do as you get older but when I was young and and all that it was um as I say it had some awesome races and some Awesome results, but it came at a huge cost of me tearing up my car and a lot of other people's cars.
0: So did you get to the point where you found yourself in a bit of a bind on how to make that all happen, or was it the sponsor A and I Helicopters was able to help you with that? Or did you? How did you? Did you ever get to the point where some of those shunts were starting out up to the point where you went, "Whoa, this one is going to cost me."
1: Where Andy um, from A and I Helicopters or Andy's Earth Movers, he was one that never really tried to tone it down with me. He didn't seem to really care. And not in a a bad way, but he was never one that tried to really tone it down. My dad was, um, and probably the people around, like Kevin Murphy's, Greg was, um, you know, had a great approach back then, and JR did. They both as well had a very different approach. JR never encouraged me to tone things down nearly as much as what Greg did. Mm. Which is saying something. It was pretty cool like that, the way I think about it now. JR would always be like, just keep doing what you're doing. But I was upsetting a lot of people along the way, and um, and you up, do
0: you remember any particular incidents that upset people in that first year?
1: Yeah, so I and mean, I was getting a I was getting a reputation that I didn't need to ha- that I didn't need to have, and you don't want because it was you know, he's really fast, but geez he just tears shit up. And I remember one of the races at Winton, um, and this would be a classic of me do something stupid, put myself down the back, and then just do these mega drives from the back all the way through. And that's what happened at a race at Winton was the last race. Um, then a safety car landed about halfway through and then I was onto the back of Jonathan Webb and I did an absolute number on the back of his car on the front of my car. And I'd already torn up however many cars on my way through as well. Um, I think might've bumped him and tapped him a few times while still under safety car, then got past him and pressed on forward. And then when I came into pit lane, I had a fella come over and abuse me and, um, yeah, call me all sorts and, uh, and tell me what it was. and, and I actually... I should tone it down a little bit, but essentially I called this bloke a fat prick and told him to F off and and whatever. And then I got reminded by, I think it was Dean Lilly at the time that was engineering me. Um, he said, oh, that was Ross Stone. You just called a fat prick. And I, I, well, you, I told him I said worse so, than so that. So you, you didn't – you didn't – I didn't know. You knew who he was and I just was, was in such a rage or you just didn't know what Ross Stone looked like? I didn't know what he looked like. I was wrapped up in my own world in, in – yeah. Yeah, in a, in a big way of just this is what I want to do and this is how I'm going about it. I'm fast as hell and I'm gonna yeah not not intentionally smash it up, but it was just I don't know I just hadn't found the groove I yeah. suppose the, okay. the speed was there, but I was smashing a lot of shit up. So yeah, um, and then had to chase around. I can't remember how this came about. I might have been Kev that gave me Ross's number and um and I had to ring him. On either on the Monday or the Tuesday after that event and finally got onto him and he would have been like, who the hell is this? And I'm sure he did not want to receive a phone call off me, told him how sorry I was and how disrespectful and all that sort of thing. And since then had a bloody good relationship with him. As I said, like never raced, um, never raced with him, had talks about possibly driving for him and different things that have always been possibles but nothing's ever come of it, but in terms of relationship and being able to sit and have a chat with him and, like, say, pick up the phone, mm. always had a really good thing ever since. So mm. it was either a good thing I did or a bad thing, but it wasn't my proudest moment. It was a
0: bad thing that turned into a good thing. Yeah. So it's, it's – so was that the – so there was two years of development series, <clears throat> 07 and then 2008. Yeah. So it was the black A&I car the next year, I remember. And, you know, again, that was a solid year. Jack Perkins is in there, Dean Canto for Howard, Steve Owen, who won the series, um, you know, and he, here we are, like, it's – what, 2008 is 15 years ago? Like a time has actually really yeah. flown by. And I think a lot of our listeners might not um, appreciate this. It's some some will and understand it. But at the time the development series had really strong fields, but it was never part of the telecast in that weekend. We would always produce them the next week, commentate them in Sydney, and then they would air the next I don't know, Saturday afternoon or whatever it was on Channel 7. So it's a very different era on how this stuff all unfolded. Social media is not really going. There's no you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think MySpace is probably bubbling at the time, but it's certainly not yeah. what socials become now. So very different era that you were cutting your teeth into what, you know, I think of someone like, you know, I walked into your, your building earlier today and you've got Thomas Maxwell working here who's, you know, been super – two last should year and last year, yeah. Carrera, back in Carrera Cup this year. So he's, he's in a very different environment for a young racing driver to, to come through compared to those days. Yeah. I reckon you had, you had your timing right.
1: Oh, of, I do as of, well. Of,
0: you didn't have to deal with lot of that stuff going on. The
1: timing was right. Because um, if you were a
0: hothead back then, oh, mate, socials, oh, you I would have, have got crucified. Smashing, yeah, Crucified.
1: Wow, well, and, and, you know, and over the time when the socials things had started, um, on Twitter it's, I got suggested a couple of times that I should kill myself. And these Rover, just, these Rover moments of like – I remember one time I'd, I I um, at Perth – I don't want to jump too far ahead here but stuffed up Jamie Winkup in qualifying when I was trying to get out of my way. I was trying to start my lap coming into the last turn at Perth and he was finishing his lap and I was at the point where now I tried to stay out of the way but I couldn't but I needed to start my lap. I stuffed him, stopped him getting – might have been pole at the time and then I went on and absolutely cost – yeah, copped a hammering and that was when, um yeah, one individual suggested that I uh, go and end myself over it. And so that was – look, I've, you know, I've been experienced at all, but, yeah, going back then there wasn't that. And I remember now having to give people the heads up to say, hey, next weekend um, on – where do we watch it now? It was on what? Channel 7. On Channel 7. Yeah, yeah. Is Is um, going to be my race. And, yeah, you'd have to pre-tell people, ring around and mm. email them, I guess, and, and yeah. tell them as to when, when they'll be able to watch my race and – uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the people that were around then there was the Rising Star program, which was run – was that through FPR?
0: Yeah, it was, it was Jim Morton's, you know, That's 7. Right. That they, then they put it into FPR yep. um, after that. So, yeah, it was really a good you program. Know, great, great crop of drivers coming up around that time who all pretty much ended up in supercars at some point either for, you know, a bit of a period or a long period as well. So so 2000 th-
1: that was my second year of DBS. It wasn't actually a very good year. I probably had toned things down a little bit, lost a bit of speed I reckon – just never found a groove like I had in season one. Um, same car though. Same car, yeah. but it just—I was trying to find that balance of stop smashing shit up because everyone's had jack of it. My reputation was, you know, wasn't good for that either. So mm. it was like trying to find, trying to find all that, and I kind of lost my groove a little bit. I reckon. Sort of
0: wound it back too
1: far. Maybe wound it back too far, yeah. and I don't know. I just can't quite put my finger on it exactly, but I definitely remember it was like we changed we changed dampers at that point, we went to something at TTX Olens as opposed to the TT44s. I can't remember what the the numbers were. It's, and we've tra- we changed that. I'd never got as happy on those as I did the old these old school Wally story dampers. And JR was all about them. He was the one that was always go back to them. They're the best. Murph was trying to probably find that new direction as well. If no, they're the, that's old school. Now get rid of them. You need to go to these new ones, but those dampers, they work for me. Um, and, yeah, just probably lost my groove a little bit in that, mm. in that time.
0: That year you got to make your Bathurst 1000 debut mm. though. Yes. 2008. Yep. So it's JR and Murph in the lead car. Yep. Which is car three. So they were driving JR's car and you get Murph's car with yep. Mark Nosky, yeah. a.k.a. Dale Kerrigan, who we will get on the podcast at some point soon because Nosk is good for a story uh, or two. Do you remember where you were when you got the call to say – Mate, you're going to drive in the Enduros. Because that's a big moment for any driver that you're going to make your debut in the biggest race in this country. That's cool.
1: I knew it was being thrown around as a possibility. Um, and, again, it was something I needed to improve on. That's where I, th- I knew that the possibility was there. It was never there for year one. It was there for year two of me being with Greg Murphy Racing. But it was a few things I had to do better. It was like show that I could actually, you know, properly finish races, be reliable and all that. And there's no doubt about it that they knew as well that that I had a guy behind me, he wasn't my manager as such, but this is Andy, who was funding a lot of it. He was probably one that was did a lot of work in the background for me. Um, so I think those discussions probably started with him before they started with me. And I think he might have been the one to deliver the news or – no, it wasn't. I'm sorry, it was Jeff Grech that was the one that delivered the news to say, you know, you're going to you're gonna do enduros and this is what you're going to do and you're going to be with Mark Noski. So that was that was really cool. I don't know if I look back now and still think that – that's really cool, but that's not what I ultimately want. It's a funny thing that because it was – You thought that at the time or you think I that now? Reckon, no, I reckon at the time it was like that's awesome, um, but that's still not what I really want. I just want a full-time drive and I want to – yeah, I want to mm. work my way up to the front of the supercar, mm. you know, field. And so I thought, it was a, I thought it was great and I was probably like at that time, I don't know how seriously it was looked at as the co-drivers being in the car – the focus was massively on the main drivers and that and that one car. And our job was: you circulate, don't do anything too stupid. Ultimately, we weren't going to win the race, were we? And mm-hmm. most of those, most of the cars in that in those teams, they weren't going to. You were there to serve a purpose, I guess, keep the thing circulating, don't get in the way.
0: Yeah, because it's before they changed the rules, where you had to stay in your own car and have a Correct. co-driver join you. You could, yep. if you wanted to, you didn't have to put your two regular guns together in the one car, mm-hmm. which Tasman did. Pretty much every, pretty much everyone did it except for a team that was in the championship battle on occasion, yep. and they wanted to, to hedge their bets. But and that was at the time when Phillip Island was the first enduro, and then uh, off to Bathurst as well. So I th- was it the warm up at Bathurst where the steering wheel came off in was over it your now, hand or, or nosky's hand?
1: N- nosky's hands so yeah. over there over the um, crest of Mountain Straight, the steering wheel came off his yeah came off in his hands, and the thing just shot left. So he went into the wall there. And I remember him coming over the radio and. Um, and going, ah, oh, guys, the steering wheel's just come off and I'm in the fence. So then there was a bit of work to get, get that one going again. And I was stickering him at the time as well. So um, I think I was doing, yeah, double duties. It was like, right, try and be a good race car driver. We're doing um, DVS as well and sticking the cars up and make them look pretty at the time. So I was running like a blue-ass fly.
0: And that, with Dale running around like a blue-ass fly, is where we'll finish up part one of Dale Wood on the V8 Sleuth podcast. Some great stories in there, and it gives you a great taste of what's to come in part two. And in part two, we'll get stuck into how he landed his big break in the Supercars Championship and the gut-wrenching way he learned that it was all over just a few months later. Now, there's lots more stories, so tune in next week when we drop that pod. If you're listening a bit later down the track after this pod's been released, and that has too go to part two now have a listen to more with uh, wood if you haven't heard some of our back catalogue episodes jump into the v8 sleuth podcast archive there's plenty of chats with plenty of stars from over the years plenty of topical uh, shows as well with category descriptions and discussions uh, classic cars q and a's there's something for you to listen to anyway i'm done we're out we're all over i'll catch you next time with another episode of the v8 sleuth podcast